I'm John, and this is D-O-L-W-2, episode 23, uh, The Right of Sodomy. And I'll be reading from The Right of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church, by Randy Ingle, volume 4, pages 962 to 968. These homosexual and pederast priests and bishops are apparently of the opinion that since the Catholic Church is their church, they can do whatever they like in it, even though their actions clearly contradict the teachings of the Catholic Church and see themselves as liberators, quote-unquote, of the Catholic Church from its outdated morals, quote-unquote, and reformers, quote-unquote, and akin to, if not exactly the same as, the freedom riders who went down south to fight against discrimination and racism toward black people and lynchings of them and burning of black churches and bombings of those churches and burning crosses on black people's lawns or in front of their churches or else they just don't care if their actions of pedestrian homosexuality in the church are immoral and are just going to do whatever in the hell that they want to do and don't care what anyone thinks about what they do, since they only care about their own pleasure and enjoyment, or probably some mixture of these two attitudes. First of all, you don't get to do just absolutely anything that you feel like doing, even in your own house, when there are also other people in the house, and your actions would violate the rules of the house and offend those other people, and might be asked to leave the house until you can conform to the rules of the house or even be taken away by the police if you persist in that behavior. This applies to all assemblies and masses of people everywhere. There are rules of behavior and conduct everywhere. You can't shout fire in a crowded theater unless there is actually a fire, just because you feel like doing so and for your own sick amusement, since you might cause people to get trampled to death by other people who are rushing to get out. You can't bomb or burn churches, as mentioned above, just because you feel like doing so, since that is a violation of those people's safety and rights in their churches. You can't lynch or otherwise murder black or other people, just because you feel like doing so, when they haven't done anything against you. You can't rest your knee on somebody's neck until he dies from asphyxiation or chokehold somebody until he dies, or shoot somebody who isn't resisting arrest just because you feel like it, as has been witnessed in recent incidents of police brutality and for many years now and throughout our history by some police officers. So how could the church, which is supposed to have a higher morality and be held to a higher standard than the general society, not know better than everyone else does that people in it can't do just whatever in the hell they feel like doing and there have to be standards of conduct and very high standards at that in our church. Doing whatever you feel like doing isn't freedom but only license as clergymen should certainly know better than other people do. Secondly, not all rebellion against social customs or rules or morals or societies or attitudes or anything is the same. Thus, freedom riding against racism and discrimination in the South during the Civil Rights Movement and fighting against 
all of that and trying to change people's minds about committing all of that evil and protesting and fighting against apartheid in South Africa and denouncing and finally a war against the genocide and dictatorship of Nazi Germany were actually good things, while imposing the world's standards of acceptance of homosexuality and pederasty on the church under the pretense of being a liberator, quote-unquote, and reformer, quote-unquote, and the same as the freedom riders, quote-unquote, is actually an evil, since racism is evil and opposition to sexual or any evil is good. Posing as a, quote-unquote, liberator or reformer of the church and the same as freedom riders, quote-unquote, doesn't actually make it true since if it did, all imposture would make those doing it the same as the real thing, which only the gullible will believe. Satan can appear as an angel of light to gain more acceptance for his subtle misleadings of people, the same as these Trojan horsemen and infiltrators of the church misrepresent themselves as liberators and reformers, quote-unquote, in order to lead people into wrong thinking and action. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, who masquerade as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So it is not strange that his ministers also masquerade as ministers of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Second Corinthians eleven, thirteen to 15 One of Satan's main activities in the world is to sow confusion and convince as many people as he can that disruptors and destroyers of the church are actually, quote-unquote, liberators and reformers of the church, and the same as freedom writers, quote-unquote, while those who want and try to preserve morals in the church, he gets people dismissed as, quote-unquote, oppressors, Pharisees, anti-progressives, and outdated moralist people. Satan confuses people about what is moral and what is immoral and everything else that he can. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Isaiah 5, 20-21. Thirdly, if these homosexual and pederast priests and bishops just don't care if their actions are immoral, as is most probably the case, that is the biggest proof of all that they are false apostles and not true Catholics or Christians, since we are supposed to care about and know if our actions are immoral in order to be able to confess and repent of those sins. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. By their fruits you will know them. Do people, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Just so every good tree bears good fruit, and a rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So by their fruits you will know them. Matthew seven fifteen to 20 Do nothing out of selfishness or out of vainglory. Rather, humbly regard others as more important than yourselves, each looking out not for his own interest, but also everyone for those of others. Philippians 2, 3-4 Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out 
against all sound judgment, Proverbs 18.1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unloving, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Second Timothy 3, 1-5 Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Romans 8, 7 And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And now a reading from The Right of Sodomy, Homosexuality in the Roman Catholic Church by Randy Engel, Volume 4, pages 962 to 968. The mother of one student learned that a parish priest from her diocese, who had been convicted of the homosexual molestation of young boys, visited St. Gregory's and engaged her son in a conversation in the hallway. This incident suggests that the SSJ may have brought other sexual predators onto the campus. It was also discovered that Headmaster Hicks had allowed boys on the school's hockey team to take a trip to Canada with a man known to Hicks to be both a practicing homosexual and a collector of homosexual pornography. At the end of the 1998-1999 term, when the SSJ priests left St. Gregory's, to take up residence on their own property. They continued to maintain a close relationship with the students of St. Gregory's. In a December 10, 2002 affidavit, Mr. Joseph Schiambra, in the John Doe case, the former postulant of the society, says that in the late spring or early summer of 2000, a group of young men from St. Gregory's Academy camped out on the SSJ's property. Father Ortegordi spent the night at the campsite and told Schiambra that he had shared a sleeping bag with one of the young men. Schiambra himself witnessed the priest serving alcohol to underage boys, one of whom stumbled out of Ortegordi's bedroom in a severe state of intoxication. He said he also saw boys leaving the priest's bedroom in their underwear, some of whom said that they had slept in the same bed with the priest. Another former SSJ novice, who signed an affidavit but did not want to be identified publicly by name, said that when he was living at St. Joseph's house, used by the SSJ to house postulants and novices, the overcrowding in the bathroom facilities made it difficult for him to shower after running. When Father Ortegoiti heard of the young man's problem, he invited him to use his shower and bathroom facilities at Drummond House. On each and every occasion the novice took advantage of Ortegoiti's offer, he said that the priest would appear naked from the bathroom, dressed only in his scapular, 
and shave while the young man took his shower and dressed. Although Ordogodi never approached the young man in an overtly sexual manner, it is clear that his exhibitionist posture took before novice under his spiritual care was a form of homosexual grooming. Happily, the novice did not wait to find out. He left the SSJ in mid-January 2001 without completing his novitiate. In the September 2002 affidavit written from Valbonne, France, Mr. Joseph Giraud, a former teacher of Gregorian chant for the SSJ, stated that when he was going through a period of depression, Father Ortegordi referred him to Mr. Walter Bond, a fellow musician and psychotherapist for therapy and spiritual direction. In his first session with Bond on finding oneself, Gerald was told that homosexuality was genetic and therefore a permanent state that admitted of no modification. Bond also told Gerald that he, Bond, was gay. In a later conversation with Gerald, Father Gerald Ordegordi took the same position on homosexuality that Bond had used with Gerald, that gayness was a genetic condition. Another SSJ priest, Father Fullerton, is on record as having told an SSJ seminarian that it was noble for a homosexual to become a priest. No doubt these gay myths were foisted upon unsuspecting students at the academy by SSJ priests in the form of classroom instruction on sexual morality and in spiritual direction given individually and in the confessional by Father Ortegordi and his clerical and lay disciples. Fred Fraser, a St. Gregory's graduate and later dorm father who admitted sleeping with Ortegordi, defended his bed-sharing by citing Plato's Symposium and Fyodor Dostoevsky's Brothers Karamazov. On November 10, 2002, Mr. Conal Tanner, a graduate of St. Gregory's and a former dorm father, informed Bishop Timlin that he knew for a fact that Father Ortegordi slept with boys in the same bed and that other members of the Society of St. John were aware of their superior's actions. Tanner's statement to Timlin was also confirmed in an affidavit by Diane Toller of Cherry Hill, New Jersey, who stated that Father Dominic Carey, SSJ's head fundraiser, told her that it was no secret that Father Ortegordi slept with young boys and young men on a regular basis. Father Carey defended the practice, stating that for two men to sleep together was not an occasion of sin, since there is no natural attraction between men. Guru Degoidi, exposed as a homosexual predator, in February 1911, in February 11, 1999, Bishop Bernard Fellay, Superior General of the Society of St. Pius X, sent a formal communication to Bishop Timlin informing him that Father Carlos Ordegoidi had been accused of molesting a seminarian under his spiritual care at the SSPX's St. Thomas Aquinas Seminary in Winona, Minnesota. Bishop Pelle also indicated that in 1987, prior to Ordegoidi's acceptance by the Winona Seminary, Father Andres Morello, rector of Our Lady Corredemptrix Seminary in La Reja, Argentina, had accused the priest of homosexual practices. 
According to Morello, he had intended to expel Ordegordi from the Larea Seminary because of his significant pride, his habit of forming particular friendships, his formation of a faction of seminarians acting under his influence in grave denunciations regarding moral matters. Among the seminarians fought, brought against, uh, among the accusations brought against Ordegordi by seminarians and laymen living at the Loreja Seminary were his uninvited nocturnal visits into the rooms of young men while they were asleep, the fondling of a master massage of a seminarian's genitals and buttocks under the guise of a medical exam, and the touching of the private parts of a seminarian in a restroom accompanied by the remark that the priest adored his little round butt. Ordegordi was also accused of excessive probing during confession and spiritual counseling sessions of the sexual temptations of penitence, and a modest dress swimming in his underwear at a summer camp that he organized for young men from the seminary. Unfortunately, the planned dismissal of Ordegordi by Father Morello never took place, as the seminarian had the support of Bishop Alfonso de Galaretta, the SSPX district superior and other influential priests. Instead of being expelled, Ordegordi was sent to the Priory of Cordoba, Argentina, where he received the necessary recommendations that enabled him to transfer to the SSPX seminary in Winona. By this time, Father Morello had been posted to Santiago, Chile, so he was temporarily out of the picture. However, in July 1989, when Father Morello heard of Ordegordi's imminent ordination in Winona, he sent a confidential dossier on the candidate to Rector Richard Williamson at St. Thomas Aquinas Seminary. During his effort, fearing his effort would not be sufficient to stop the ordination, Father Morello traveled to the seminary and the company of an associate. Upon their arrival, they were confronted by Williamson with a denial or a manifestation of conscience by Ori Ligordi, who proclaimed his innocence of the charges against him. Williamson defended Ordegordi's humility and accused Morello and his companion of lying. A few days later, on July 16, 1989, Morello, who had been involved in an internal dispute with the SSPX on matters unrelated to the Ordegordi affair, was expelled from the society. Williamson later claimed that Morello was not believed because he was reported to be connected to a set of a contest group in opposition to Bishop de Galaretta. Nevertheless, Williamson was ordered by his superior, Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, who had reviewed the Morello dossier to watch Ordegordi like a hawk, a virtual impossible virtually impossible task given the secretive life of a homosexual predator like Ordegordi. Father Ordegordi has successfully manipulated one traditionalist group against another for his own ends. Not only was he ordained, but he was also assigned to teach at St. Thomas Aquinas Seminary, where he was known as Guru Tagordi. Little wonder that in the warning that in his warning letter to Bishop Timlin in February 1999, 
Bishop Pelle described Artigardi as dangerous and noted the reason why he got into trouble with the superiors of the Society of St. Pius X is mainly because we felt he had a strange abnormal influence on the seminarians and priests whom he seemed to attach to his brilliant charismatic personality. When he asked me to recognize a society he intended to found, among the reasons of my refusal, I explicitly mentioned this strange personal gruel-like attachment between the disciples and their leader. Gordy Gordy faces a sec- faces second accusation. It was not until two years after Father Ordegordi had been dismissed from the Saint from Saint Thomas Aquinas Seminary in Monona for subversive activities namely the secret planning of the Society of St. John, and had settled into the Diocese of Scranton with temporary quarters at St. Gregory's Academy, that a Winona seminarian came forward to accuse the priest of sexual molestation. The object of Ortegordi's attempts at seduction and enforced sexual attention was a young man named Matthew Selinger, who once idolized the priest. The two men had formed a particular friendship at the seminary, and Ortegordi served as the seminarian's spiritual director for two years before making his move. Selinger had some strange tales to tell about Father Ortegordi. He said that on one occasion he was constipated and went to Father Ortegordi to get some metamucil. The priest offered him a rectal suppository instead. Never having used one before, the seminarian thought it was an oral medication and put it in his mouth. The priest instructed him in its correct use and insisted that the young man insert it in his presence as an act of humility. Selinger reluctantly resisted the order and went into the bathroom to insert the suppository, all the while rebuking himself for not being spiritually mature enough to follow, to follow Ortegordi's orders and crucify his manly pride. On another occasion, Ortegordi invited Selinger and his friend to swim with him in the nude. One night, the young seminarian awoke from his sleep to find the priest kneeling by his side, massaging his genitals hard enough to produce an erection. Selinger said his first instinct was to punch the priest's lights out, but because Father Ortegordi was an altar Christus, another Christ, he turned over and pretended to go back to sleep, while Ortegordi quietly slipped away into the darkness. The novel use of rectal suppositories as part of Ortegordi's grooming repertoire is reminiscent of the grooming techniques employed by the early 20th century theosophist pederast Charles Webster Ledbetter. Ledbetter promoted enemas, genital manipulation, and onanism as a means of promoting physical, psychic, and spiritual occult vigor among his youthful disciples. This spiritualizing of pederasty absolves him from the youthful, absolves him from the guilt which makes him hate society. He is no longer, his is no longer common human weakness, for he has felt the cleansing fire of divinity, related Gregory Tillett, Ledbetter's biographer. By the time that Selinger informed his superiors at Winona, that Ortegordi had sexually molested him, the SSJ founder was safely ensconced at a, as a chaplain of St. Gregory's Academy, selecting his next victim from a large pool of young men, who, like Salinger, 
before he was molested, worshipped the ground that Ordegordi walked on. In June 1999, a meeting took place in Winona between Matthew Sellinger and SSPX Rector Williamson and the pastoral team that the Diocesan Review Board had assigned to investigate the accusations against Ordegordi. The pastoral team consisted of Auxiliary Bishop John Doherty, a diocesan priest and a lawyer from the Diocese of Scranton. However, even after reading the board's report on Selinger's testimony, and with the knowledge that this was the second credible accusation of homosexual seduction and molestation against Ordegoiti, Bishop Timlin decided that the evidence against the SSJ founder was inconclusive. He took no further action on the matter. A classic cover-up was underway, led by the ordinary of the Diocese of Scranton, with the cooperation of Timlin's silent partner, Father de Vellier, superior of the FSSP. Were it not for the courage and determination of Dr. Jeffrey M. Bond, president of the College of St. Justin Martyr, and the moral and legal support given to Dr. Bond by Washington State Attorney James M. Bendel, the cover-up may well have succeeded. James and Bond to the rescue. On August 19, 2001, Dr. Bond received a visit from Alan Hicks, headmaster of St. Gregory's Academy. Hicks informed Bond that or Father Ordegordi had the habit of sleeping with boys and in fact had slept with boys from St. Gregory's when the SSJ was in residence at the school from 1997 to 1999. To support his charge, Hicks cited the case of Mr. Fred Fraser. As indicated earlier, Mr. Fraser was a graduate of St. Gregory's during the 1998-1999 academic year when the SSJ priests served as chaplains at the school. Fraser was made a dorm father even though he was only a year or two older than the boys he was supposed to supervise. It appeared that the SSJ was given carte blanche at the academy. Fraser admitted to Hicks and later to Bond that he had slept in Father Ortegoiti's bed in his private chambers. As a true disciple of his master, Fraser defended the action as part of the priest's method of spiritual direction. Fraser's statement contradicts the sworn testimony given by Ortegoiti during his 2003 deposition for the John Doe case in which the priest, when asked under oath if he ever slept in the same bed or sleeping bag with students of St. Gregory's or with any males at the school or on trips, answered no. Later in his testimony, Ortegoiti admitted that he did sleep with Mr. Fraser when he was a student at the academy, but only him. In a deposition taken by Attorney Bendel on November 10, 2003, from Stephen Fitzpatrick, a student at St. Gregory's from 1996 to 2000, and a witness hostile to the plaintiff, Fitzpatrick testified that he had slept with Ortegordi. Another former student and supporter of the SSJ from St. Gregory's, Patrick McLaughlin, who attended the academy from 1995 to 1999, said he saw a boy sleeping in the priest's bed after curfew between the hours of midnight and three in the morning. Initially, Bond was agreeable to letting Bishop Timlin handle the matter, including the disciplining of the SSJ priest. 
It was only after it became clear from talks with Bishop Timlin and Auxiliary Doherty that the bishop intended to take no action that Bond told Hicks and Assistant Headmaster Harold Clark that they should contact the parents of any boy who had been exposed to the priest at St. Gregory. In the meantime, Bond began his own investigation of the charges. Almost all of the information provided in this section on the SSJ is based on information initially uncovered by Dr. Bond and by James Bendell, who is the lead counsel for John Doe and his parents. On December 8, 2001, Bishop Timlin was informed that a young man had reported that he was sexually abused while a student at St. Gregory's Academy by Father Eric Ensi. Three days later, Hicks and Clark received the bad news. These unwelcome public revelations finally prompted the headmasters to notify all parents of boys at St. Gregory that students were to have no contact with members of the Society of St. John and that they were also forbidden to go on the SSJ property. According to Bond, neither man expressed concern for the young man who had been assaulted, although they were concerned about retaining their jobs. In October 2001, the board of directors of the College of St. Justin Martyr, a civil corporate entity in its own right, took legal steps to separate itself completely from the Society of St. John. Despite opposition from Bishop Timlin, the board removed Deacon Joseph Levine, the SSJ representative on the board, and posted the news of its separation from the SSJ on its website. As of late 1999, key lay members of the Board of Advisors of SSJ had resigned over charges of gross fiscal mismanagement. Bishop Timlin was advised that the SSJ property would have to be sold and all its special projects killed in order to pay off the huge debt that the SSJ had acquired. True to form, the bishop continued to let the SSJ raise money under fraudulent premises. In the meantime, Bond went on the warpath against the perverts in the SSJ. On November 19, 2001, Bond notified the Apostolic Nuncio in the United States and Cardinal Dario Castrillon Hoyos, Prefect of Clergy in Rome, of the immoral activities of the priests of the Society of St. John. After Bond went public with his accusations of financial in a malfeasance and sexual misconduct by the society, Father Ortegordi threatened Bond with libel. Bond had latched onto a truth that apparently had escaped Bishop Timlin and the FSSP, that John Doe was not the only victim of the SSJ priests. The entire moral, spiritual, intellectual, and disciplinary foundation of St. Gregory's Academy had been corrupted by the Society of St. John in the same way that the entire moral, spiritual, intellectual, and disciplinary foundation of a seminary or religious house of studies is corrupted when the vice of homosexuality gains a, strong, gains a stronghold within the institution. And now a reading from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Article 3, The Church, Mother, and Teacher.
2030. It is in the church in communion with all the baptized that the Christian fulfills his vocation. From the church he receives the word of God containing the teachings of the law of Christ. From the church he receives the grace of the sacraments that sustains him on the way. From the church he learns the example of holiness and recognizes its model and source and the all-holy Virgin Mary. He discovers in it in the authentic witness of those who live it. He discovers it in the spiritual tradition and long history of the saints who have gone before him and whom the liturgy celebrates in the rhythms of the sanctoral cycle. 2031. The moral life is spiritual worship. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, within the body of Christ that we form and in communion with the offering of his Eucharist. By In the liturgy and the celebration of the sacraments, prayer and teaching are conjoined with the grace of Christ to enlighten and nourish Christian activity, as does the whole of the Christian life. The moral life finds its source and summit in the Eucharistic sacrifice. One, moral life and the magisterium of the church. 2032, the church, the pillar and bulwark of the truth, has received this solemn command of Christ from the apostles to announce the saving truth. To the church belongs the right always and everywhere to announce moral principles, including those pertaining to the social order, and to make judgments on any human affairs to the extent they are required by the fundamental rights of the human person or the salvation of souls. 2033, the magisterium of the pastors of the church in moral matters is ordinarily exercised in catechesis and preaching with the help of the works of theologians and spiritual authors. Thus, from generation to generation, under the aegis and vigilance of pastors, the deposit of Christian moral teaching has been handed on, a deposit composed of a characteristic body of rules, commandments, and virtues, proceeding from faith in Christ and animated by charity, alongside the Creed and the Our Father, the basis for this catechesis has traditionally been the Decalogue, which sets out the principles of moral life valid for all men. 2034. The Roman pontiff and the bishops are authentic teachers, that is, teachers endowed with the authority of Christ, who preach the faith to the people entrusted to them, the faith to be believed and put into practice. The ordinary and universal magisterium of the Pope and the bishops in communion with him teach the faithful the truth to believe, the charity to practice, the beatitude to hope for. And that's all my readings and comments today, and so I'll end my podcast here. And in the name of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
May God bless this podcast, and may the Holy Spirit use it to touch people's hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.